Blog Talk Radio. Wednesday, well, they serve with you in the Midwest and have like weather like, <laughs> uh, winter like weather the past few days. I mean, this weather here is just baffling to me. But anyway, enough about that. Welcome to tonight's podcast, The Clown Hour. This is your host of the most, Scott Burks. I also been declared a sports blog called The Clown Times, which is a blog component podcast. And that's Clown Square Potato. And you'll find me on the web at www.theclowntimes.net. And you can find me on Facebook as well, just wherever you're on your smartphone, laptop, desktop. Just go to search one on top in the Clown Times again. It's Clown Spurver K. You can find me there as well. We got, got a lot to get into tonight. Well, actually, since nothing else going on in sports world, uh, we're going to touch upon the last dance, episode seven and eight, discuss that. And we're going to continue the great NBA player performances uh, 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 series since. Um, um, since, well, of course, we have no NBA playoffs right now, and we got to do something to fill the void, so we're going to uh, get into that some more. So last week we we, we discussed Tim Duncan's uh, triple-double, 21 points, 20 rebounds, uh, and I think he had 11 assists and almost almost close to 10 blocks, so damn near a quadruple-double, and the clinching game of, of game six of the 2003 NBA Finals. Which it was just a bore, but that's <laughs> that's another story for another time. Uh, so tonight we're going to touch upon Tracy McGrady's performance in Game Three of the of the 2001 NBA playoffs, uh, in the first round against uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, which they went on to lose the games one. But that's not here or there. The only thing is that um, Tracy McGrady had a legendary performance in Game Three of the Finals, which they won in overtime. So we're going to discuss that in greater detail when we get to it. So. We're going to bring back the, the uh, basketball crew, as I call them. Y'all know them from uh, the Weekend Adjustments um, uh, radio show on WMOH, The Ticket, um, every Saturday morning. Uh, we're going to bring in my guys, Kevin McCune and Jared Singleton. So, gentlemen, welcome back. How y'all doing? I'm doing good, Scott. I'm doing well. All right. It's good to hear that. Um I know that we've been uh, busy. Um, I, I know that Jared was saying that he, he was doing some yard work and stuff, so uh, it's, it's all good. I hope you guys are ready to get into some basketball. Again, we have no NBA players going on, but, hell, we can always start basketball, right? So we're NBA in, in, in particular. So let's do this. Let's do this. So we're going to flip it because last week we, we've been in the 
in a previous podcast as well with my other partner, we were, I would touch on the last dance episode in the episode of the, this, past, this past weekend, the previous weekend, but we're going to jump, we're going to flip, we're going to discuss the greatest NBA player performances series. We're going to just keep keep going that right? because last week when we talked about Tim Duncan's performance in game six of the, cl- the clinching game of the NBA Finals, 2003 NBA Finals, we had some fun with it. So we're going to just get to it and talk about Tracy McGrady now. A lot of people... Like they, 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 a lot of people like clown Tracy McGrady's accomplishments because I don't think he made it past the first round as the lead guy of a team. Uh, correct me if if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think he had. And you know, as a complimentary player, he did, but now as the lead dog. So you know, he didn't get he doesn't get the process he deserves. Now he's a Hall of Famer, and some people question his credentials as a Hall of Famer. I don't. And I'm sure I'm, and I don't know if you guys do or not, but uh, but anyway, I, I just think that he's one of the more under underappreciated stars of of our time. And when he was at his peak, he was a superstar at his peak, leading the Orlando Magic, then later leading the Houston Rockets with Yao Ming. Um, but he just was unappreciated because of his playoff failures. Again, as the league guy, and some of that may be on him. I don't think the years when he was in Orlando should be squarely on him because, let's face it, for those of us who remember, again, I'm a guy of a certain age. I'm like 46 years old. But <laughs> I, I remember his teams being most – his Orlando teams being mostly doo-doo. And that's probably most well, – who was he supposed to have on those teams Grant the entire time? Yeah. He didn't have Grant Hill. And so, you know, you go. Grant Hill got okay. – so that's why I, said, I don't blame the Grady for the Orlando years because he didn't have anybody else. So, but so since we touched upon that, uh, uh, Jared, uh, since we since you chimed in, uh, you know, let's this is this is going to the finals. I mean, the uh, I'm sorry, the uh, game game three of the 2001 NBA playoffs. So this is the first round, of course. Orlando beat Milwaukee again. The Milwaukee team that had Ray Allen. Sam Cassell, Angela Robinson, all in their prime, and so, yeah. and so this, so this team would go, would go on to face the Philadelphia Seven Sixers in the East Conference Finals that year. But just to let you know what what McGray was going with, his road dogs were Daryl Armstrong, Outlaw, Young Mike Miller, and Andrew DeClerc. Rookie yeah. Mark, that was his, rookie that was, Mike Miller. Exactly. So that was this crew. Going up against the triumvirate of Allen, Cassell, and Robin in their prime, all three of guys in their prime. So what? So so so, so what stuck out to you before we get into the game? What stuck out to you the most of that of, of, of Tracy McGrady's frankly heroic performance to even make it a series before the invention got eliminated the, the the following game? Without getting too far ahead of everything, what stuck out the most was. Tracy McGrady miss went 0 of two on free throws with five seconds left of the game or ten five seconds or ten seconds left in the game. That's a no no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate saying that, but that right. along with the fact that he couldn't really get his jump shot going at all made me sit right. back and think. And then Orlando Tracy McGrady's jump shot was was really inconsistent. It wasn't until he got to Houston that he really started to have some consistency on his jumper, and that that just kind of stuck out to me along with how 
just how athletic he was. Yeah, he was a beast. He I mean, he beast. could move from side to side, up, down. He'd hit the floor, and he'd be back up jumping immediately. It was just – I don't know. It was it was something else. It was almost like LeBron before LeBron. And that's a good point. I'm glad you said that because, again, not many people appreciate, fully appreciate what McGrady was. He was a, he was like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, six, and could move. He was just so athletic. And what the memory that sticks out with, with, with like for me – was not not counting the series, not talking about the series, but when he dunked on, and again, I know this is only Sean Bradley, but when he dunked on Sean Bradley, we remember the Rockets going against the Mavericks in the playoffs. Um, that was that was nasty. That was downright criminal. I, I think there was, Sean I'm Bradley was a tall man. That was body bash, a big time body bash. But anyway, I just wanted to just let people know how great McGrady was. In his prime. Um, uh, uh, there Kevin, have been people that make the argument that Vince Carter was better than Tracy McGrady. And you go just back and look at numbers, maybe you can make an argument for Vince Carter. But for the people that were there and watched it, we all know that Tracy McGrady was the far superior player of the two. You know, what Jim, what Jim Rome would always uh, used to say, was that Toronto, when the, like when the Raptors opted to trade McGrady and keep Vince Carter, and since they're both cousins, he would always say that they kept their own cousin. <laughs> they, they being the Raptors. They <laughs> kept their own cousin. Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts on, on Tracy McGrady's performance? And if you want, you can parlay that to his, his, his career while he was at his peak, how great he was, or what, what else that stuck out to you about McGrady? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think just going into watching this game and uh, at the start of the game, Scott, you touched on it. They went through the starting lineup, and yeah, most of the guys I remember. I didn't. I didn't remember Andrew DeClerc at all. He's like the most forgettable NBA player for me, I guess. Uh, I had no recollection of his existence, and maybe maybe that's bad as a Cavs fan because I went and looked him up, and he had two years with the Cavs in the '90s, but. Uh, I think I think it proves yeah. in that era of basketball, if you were seven foot tall, you had a chance to make the NBA. Um, Pretty much. But I'll digress and, and stop picking on DeClerc. Uh McGrady, I think you mentioned him not making it past the first round, and he didn't hear either. He's playing against a superior team. Uh, and I think it was a theme throughout his time in Orlando. Uh, and Scott, you touched on it. He didn't have a lot there with him. I remember Daryl Armstrong as the perennial backup, and you look at the box score, he was the second-leading player in this game. Uh, for the Magic, and, um, you know, same with Bo Outlaw. I remember him being more of a role guy, and, you know, he's a key player for, for, for this Magic team back in 2001. And um, But this season was a season that McGrady really uh, took off. I mentioned multiple times throughout the game that he had won the most improved player of the year that year. He went from uh, scoring 15 points a game the year before to over 26 a game in 2001. And then that starts a streak for McGrady, where for seven straight seasons, he scored at least over 24 points per game. Uh, so definitely probably underappreciated in the annals of history as far as uh, NBA stardom goes. Um, and I think, but I also think um, part of the reason why maybe he's underappreciated uh, is, is to his own fault. And that's that uh, while maybe body size you could maybe compare to LeBron and skill set and his ability could compare to LeBron. Um, he wasn't quite as muscular, but still there's a lot there that 
you might may, may you may say, hey, this is pretty comparable to LeBron. I mean, look at the stat line in this game. He had 10 assists and eight rebounds and near triple-double. Um, I think that just watching him play, at least in this game and then um, throughout his career, I think he did lack, for all the talent he had, he, he lacked maybe an extra gear and a killer mentality. Jared, miss, Jared mentioned him missing those two free throws at the end of the game. And I think it was – I want to say it was – a little bit ways through the second quarter, maybe a couple of minutes left in the second quarter, he had had, I think, a, a very silent 16 points uh, in the game up until that point, and he kind of goes in for a lay-in and gets a, it got fouled hard by Devin Ham, and uh, I think um, it was a Priscilla, whoever the, the color guy was for the game, said, hey, maybe this is what's going to light a fire under McGrady now, and, and he'll go off, and he kind of did, uh, and I don't want to get into breaking down the game yet, but um, mm-hmm. it's almost like he needed something, you know, to, to set him off. Um, he didn't have that, that killer mentality from, from the beginning. And, um, you know, we, we see the barking with him and Glenn Robinson back and forth throughout this series. Um, so a lot of talk, but um, I think maybe he just missed a little bit of edge that some of the all-time greats have about them. And, and maybe that's why he's a little more underappreciated. I mean, he averaged over 30 points a game one season. So he, he's, he's a great scorer right. each day. So. Well, let me ask y'all this, and Kevin, I just keep the ball in your court, so to speak. Um, let's play a quick game of work before we get into this game where the grade just went off. Um, suppose, and this is one of the big what-ifs in, in basketball history, that besides, you know, um, uh, bias passing. Um, what if Grant Hill stayed healthy? long enough to, to do well in Orlando. Because remember, that year, that one summer, Orlando both uh, had, uh, what's his name, Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill for, for free agency. That's big time free agency. So those, it was supposed to be two head of monster. So what if, what if Grant Hill had, had stayed healthy throughout his Orlando years? And, and pretty much, like, because when he was balling with the Pistons, he hadn't reached mm-hmm. his prime yet. He was—he hasn't reached mm-hmm. his prime. I mean, he was great, but he hasn't reached—he hasn't reached his prime. I think that the Orlando right. years supposed to be prime years. They robbed us. So, what do you think if if he stayed healthy? How great would not only how great would Orlando Magic be, but but how much of more appreciated would McGrady have been? Be like, but because you know, again, it would have been a two-headed monster. I think Orlando would have been much greater if they had mm-hmm. both those guys in their prime. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I think if you if you look at Grant Hill and you look at McGrady, I think Hill's skill set, um, both on the court and as a locker room guy, he would have been a guy that could have been a perfect complement uh, to McGrady, McGrady's game. I think some of the things we've knocked on McGrady, um, him missing some late free throws and he's saying he doesn't have a killer mentality, I think that uh, that could have been found in Grant Hill. And even though McGrady mm-hmm. might have had to play more of a Robin role, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't have, you know, uh, stuff the stat sheet the way he did, uh, but there would have been a leader there. And I think you see it. I think there's a glimpse of it in this game, and uh, we can get into it a little bit later, but there is a scuffle at one point in the game, and McGrady's hot. Mm-hmm. And he's they're, they're talking about – the broadcast team's talking about the possibility, is he going to get thrown out here? And Grant Hill is one of the guys that comes off the bench in his suit, wraps him up, pulls him out of the melee, and just bear hugs him. Because even on the bench in street clothes, Grant Hill knew how important McGrady was to the team and to that game. And so I think you have that 
um, that leadership presence that Grant Hill would have brought. And I think that that would have really helped um, McGrady's game. I think even from a mentality standpoint, uh, where maybe late in the game Grant Hill is the one that's taking those free throws, and it takes that pressure off from Grady to be that type of guy where he can just go out, stuff the stat sheet, pick up his assists, pick up his rebounds, um, and, and pick up his points. Uh, and Grant Hill was looked to maybe more so as uh, the emotional leader of the team. Um, and I think, yeah, I think if, if the talent gap in this game was so wide. I mean, you mentioned Allen Robinson uh, and Cassell, and those Bucks years – they were the team that, like, they were always right there but could never get over the top, and you could not say that about the right. Orlando team. Um, but if you put Grant Hill in the lineup next to McGrady, then things get a lot more equaled out. And so, um, yeah, Scott, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, it, it was really uh, – if, if Hill had been there, the Magic would have been a lot better uh, of a team back in the early 2000s. To build on, to build on Kevin's point a little bit, um, I agree with that. And the thing that would have unlocked that team, which you look at now that I think would have unlocked it, but back then I don't know how much how much it would have really looked into it was the positional overlap of the two. Because I know McGrady was a little bit a little bit bigger than, than Hill was, but you would have had Hill play in the three and that would have pushed that would have pushed McGrady to the four. We all agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Because six eight, six nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, six eight, six nine around there. Like it's uh, it's what what that unlocks is for for lack of for lack of anything else, it, it unlocks a small ball lineup because now you're running right. four out, and you saw it during this game a couple of times, especially once uh once what's his face went out, uh, their starting center went out, and I forget his name. Uh, once DeClerc. once he yeah, DeClerc, once DeClerc fell well, out, so forgettable. You, yes, that it's <laughs> that forgettable. Um, it's you you can see that they go to a four a one in four out a one in four out style, and that suits McGrady because that's when McGrady starts to really get going in the fourth quarter. Is once once they open up the lane a little bit, and that was the problem in Houston too, was that Yao just clogged the lane. Yeah. So I think the I think the biggest the biggest unintended consequence of it would be that it would have unlocked a smaller lineup that would have ran more, which honestly would have kind of competed with what the Suns were doing. Not saying that that team would have competed with the Suns during that time, but it would have been a similar style, I guess. Right. Right. And I totally agree agree with that. Wondos, what if? It's one of those great what ifs in basketball. Uh, Grant Hill, yep. like uh, uh Let's get to the game, gentlemen. Um, so basically, well, right, right before I get the game, um, like, uh, like McGrady scored 42 points, 10 assists, mm-hmm. eight rebounds. You know, played 49 out of 52 minutes. You know, because he. Jared, he had no business getting overtime because he should have hit his free throws. Because that's what the superstar is supposed yeah. to be, right? Thanks, by uh, the way, Jared, for picking uh, an overtime game, by the way. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he should have gotten there, right? He should have gotten there. He should have saved himself some, some time. Um, that's right. But that's he right. had to go up with, like, Allen, Ray Allen scored 27 for, for, for Milwaukee. Sam Gasillo had 21, Glenn Robinson had 14, but this was the Ray Allen. This was the 
not the two or three point center Ray Allen. This is the I'm a dunk of your ass Ray Allen. Yes. People forget that. Ray Allen could would, would, would dunk of your ass like early in his career. He was very he was more, he was well rounded than, than he was in his career when he became the pure one of the best three point shooters, obviously, but still he right. could dunk on people. So people forget how athletic he, like he was early in his career, but that's I'm just 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 want to just again underscore how important McGrady was, how great he was that he that he went up against those three guys on a much better squad, much better coach, mind you, and they had Tim Thomas coming off the bench. That's how deep Milwaukee was. And yeah, uh, Tim know, Thomas was no joke back then either. Exactly, but I mean, people forget how great Tim, well, how good Tim Thomas was. Um, yeah, because he was still, perennially injured, injured with the Knicks, and so you forgot that he was good okay. when he actually played. He had 18 points off the bench in, in, in that game too. So in game three, so he was he wasn't no slouch. He wasn't no scrub. He wasn't a scrub at all. Uh, but that's that's what McGrady had to go against. That's how good that Milwaukee team was. But in the first quarter, um, you know, it was 23-24 Orlando, uh, McGrady. Uh, and well, actually, Daryl Armstrong like scores all scores with seven points, but McGrady had his. He was he was present, was fell on the floor, and allowed other people to get going. Uh, meanwhile, Ray Allen again, he was a beast. He led the way with eight points. But at this point, Orlando was down two games to none, and so you could sense the actual desperation that the Magic had. And McGrady, to his credit, I mean, he was starting at three of seven, which ain't bad, but still he had to start off like pretty fast. And again, this is back when. Defense was still deep. People would still play defense, but anyway, uh-huh. what you what you Jared of uh, McGrady's performance or how his impact in the first quarter and in in, in in game three of this series. McGrady had ten assists in game three of this series and should have had about fifteen. Yeah, because there were multiple times, and it was really prevalent in the first quarter more so than the second and third, and then it kind of came back to rear its ugly head in the fourth. But he would lay perfect passes, and then they, and then his teammates would just miss. Like, it, that, that, was, that was the biggest thing that stuck out, was that the playmaking and the facilitating that he was capable of at his size just went to waste because his team was not good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people tend, tend to forget that. I mean, again, McGrady, again, he played against a team with three top-notch players. One is a future, one is a future Hall of Famer, Ray Allen, Sam Cassell, Glenn Robinson, and their primes were great. Now, McGrady's crew again: Darren Armstrong, Bo Outlaw, Ricky Mike Miller, Andrew the Clark. <laughs> I mean, that was it, that was so much against McGrady. You had to feel sorry for him because again he didn't have Grant Hill. Um, he's had to take on that Milwaukee, that, that Milwaukee team himself, right? So I mean, to your point, Jerry, let's not forget it. Was no that he had to pick up the slack, and to your, and he should have had a lot more assists. But you know, it's hard to trust your teammates when your teammates are you know playing like beauty, right? You know, quite yeah, but let's not let's not uh, let's not forget all time NBA great. Uh, Pat Garrity, the Magic's second leading scorer in the series, coming off the bench. Huh? Hey, hey, hey Pat Garrity <laughs> unlocked. That's that was the that was that small ball though. I mean, granted, Garrity's not much, and I mean he's only 
so good, but that's what unlocks the that's what unlocks the four out one in in, in style was having the quote unquote stretch four on the on the court. So yes, I, I, I agree. Ha ha. Pat Garrity's your second leading scorer. <laughs> your team is trash. I agree with you. But credit where credit's due, that's where Doc Rivers could have unlocked the team a little bit better was just by trying to find floor spacers for McGrady. Yeah. yeah. Let's not forget that Doc Rivers was the coach of this team. And Doc Rivers is a very smart coach. Very smart Mm -hmm. coach. I would think that he would have saw how the fourth quarter went. Granted, the defense was not very good. Was not good at all, but I, I digress. We're in the first quarter. We'll we'll break the fourth quarter down a little bit more later. Yeah, so that's fine. And speaking of that, like the second quarter, Milwaukee goes on the run. They take the lead in the halftime by six. Um, like at this point, McGrady says double figures. Uh, you know, and, and his teammates are just like you know plowing along, trying to do the best they can. Meanwhile, uh, you know, Cazelle and they're turning the ball over up. so much. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. They had at this point how many turnovers? Uh, trying to find it here. Uh, there was uh, by the end of the second to, they were at nine 15. to thirteen. Yeah, it, it was nine yeah. to thirteen. Orlando had thirteen, and Milwaukee had nine. That was on the the graphic during the game. Um. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. Basically, I, all, all, Orlando's not playing well at this point, and poor McGrady, he's like probably pulling at the hair that he has in his hair at the moment, but he's still hanging in there at this point, so that leads to the third quarter, and, you know, that's when it started to open up for Orlando. They outscored the, the Bucks by 12 to take the lead into the fourth quarter, but I think at this point, you know, McGrady started to heat up, and, um, and, and you know, he's, he's throwing the ball some more. Uh, Pat Garrity scored 12 points in the third quarter. How about that, Jared? Um, he scored 12 <laughs> points in the third quarter, and uh, he starts the ball. He starts the ball out, so that 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 that, that you know that helped Orlando uh, to get out to a uh, six-point lead. So, what's y'all take away? I saw with Kevin this time. What's y'all take away to this point about McGrady, his performance, and his his teammates? It seemed like that. But like 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 McGray helped galvanize his troops to get a little bit of help from Garrity and company, and from Daryl Armstrong as well, to take this lead headed to the fourth quarter. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, um, just to touch on that second quarter real quick and go back. I mean, it was ugly. Yeah. It was an ugly second quarter. Um, Priscilla said at one point in the second quarter, I think it was like five minutes left. Somebody made a bucket, and he said that's the first bucket from either team in a month. Um, and he was not wrong. Quarter. Um, I think with 3.35 left, I made a note in the second quarter. McGrady was only three of nine from the floor at that point. Um, and then we see Doc Rivers' interview at halftime. He says, hey, guys, I know we're a jump-shooting team, but that doesn't mean that we can't attack the basket. And then I think McGrady uh, really took that advice from his coach, and he ran with it in the third quarter, uh, really started attacking the basket out of the break. Um First two drives, he, he attacks the rim, and they, it results in an assist down low uh, in the third quarter, and then he gets uh, two foul shots on the next end. Then the scuffle happens. I mentioned Grant Hill pulling McGrady back. and then, um, But, yeah, then he mm-hmm. does start uh, facilitating. Uh, when, he, when he starts driving low, he starts f- kicking out to Garrity. Jared would say, you know, that stretch four. He starts finding those 
um, as a result of him driving and the defense now having to be ready for him in the lane. Uh, and Orlando does start uh, hitting some shots. And then, uh, as you said, shot that uh, they go on a little run and then they open up that six-point lead going into the fourth. Yeah, you know, and, and, and for those of you who listen on the podcast right now, you might want to check out that scuff on YouTube where McGrady was being held back by Grant Hill because he got here that moment. But that's back when you could fight in the NBA. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what comes out of that in today's NBA? How many suspensions or fines? <laughs> what, what happens in today's NBA on well, that? Well, I, I think it was – Even in 2000 – Go ahead, sorry. Like uh, retroactively. I think he would have retroactively suspended Grant Hill <laughs> for like a week <laughs> and McGrady for like another month. Um, and – Glenn Robinson for like a year. I don't know. But, I mean, that's back when you could regulate on the court. And let, as long as no blood was spilled, everything was cool. So, it was, it was the playoffs. That's what happens in the playoffs, right? It's the intensity. Keep in mind, up. this is before the malice in the palace, too. That's true. That like, that's, true. The, that's the biggest thing here is that this is before players took it upon themselves to go into the stands. Mm-hmm. Well, and at the start of the game, at the start of this game, they did say this is we've got an all old school referee crew. So I'm guessing these guys have been doing games since the '80s and the Bad Boy era. And so they say it's 2001. They say we got an all old school referee crew, veteran lineup. And I'm watching this game, and there were a lot of hard fouls that went uncalled throughout this ball game. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they got an old school crew uh, doing this game. I, yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, to, to 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 drive home your point. Um the the biggest the, the biggest one that I could see was I, I don't want to skip ahead to the fourth quarter, but I have to here. Ray Allen drives That's to the right. basket and dunks it to, to uh to tie the game up, right? Uh so it, right. with uh with three seconds left or whatever it is. He he mm-hmm. drives and and dunks it. On that dunk, if y'all notice, McGrady fouled him. McGrady got his arm as he was going in for the dunk because you could see it on the uh, replay, and it was uncalled. Now, granted, it wasn't exactly the most egregious foul in the world, but today's NBA, that's an and one. Yeah, right. So, yeah, to Kevin's point, there were a lot of there were a lot of calls that just uh, the whistles got swallowed there. And to be honest with you, I enjoyed it. Well. That's it kept the game. It kept the game going. I mean, that's playoff basketball. It, it gets tough. The, the scores get lower. The game slows down. It's much, much, much more physical because the it stay, the urgencies are up, right? And you plus you either seriously seeing the same team, and, and you know at that time at least three times in the first round, but now it's at least four times. You get tired of seeing that team. You get sick and tired of seeing them in the playoffs. And you got and things happen. We all know that things mm-hmm. happen in the playoffs, even now, because people get tired of each other. I mean, see the same team four times, at least four times right. around. Lakers, Lakers, Celtics, mid eighties. Yep. Ah, uh, to go back to that time, man. but that's not. I'm, I'm not going to turn to get, get off my get off my lawn, guy. I promise you, even though <laughs> I'm old enough to do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, just just to your point, that's when. It just has to rest in my opinion, but but yeah, I, but like like at this time, I think McGrady like is starting to pick things up. Your boy Pat Garrett and Jared started to heat things up. He was three for three from three point land. Pat Garrett, he stretched four points. Um, I said, don't field. hate. He did the best he could. 
Hey, if you play in the NBA, you have to be a little bit good, right? You got to play, be able to play to play in the NBA. So there's there's that too. Uh, Notre Dame's finest, by the way. Um, yeah. So headed to the fourth quarter, Milwaukee makes a run. Obviously, Tyson sends it into overtime. Um, sends it into uh, to, uh, overtime, and then McGrady missed those. I think um, he had a chance to make some free throws. I was was it overtime? Was it the fourth quarter? I forgot. But, it was uh, the end of the fourth. It, it was the end mm-hmm. of the fourth. The, they were up two points. He got fouled. Yeah. Missed both, then Ray Allen comes down, and then on some just, just, just burns PJ Armstrong hard, and gets a to tie the game. That just is it, to me that was unreal. I can't believe the defense was that bad from Orlando to let that happen. Yeah, and and to, and then and then McGrady wasted the points because this the fourth quarter and the third. He played the entire he played the entire quarter, the third and fourth quarters. So imagine seeing that happen, right? You miss two free throws, right? And then I'll have Ray Allen come down, dunk on one of your teammates, says it over time. You have to be thinking to yourself, God damn it! If you're Tracy McGrady, God damn it! Really? Well, think about this really? though. You 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 were saying he came along in the third and fourth quarter. He scored 11 points in the first half. Yeah. By the time it got to overtime, he had scored 37 points. Right. That's right. an 18-point swing right there. Like, he, he got hot. He scored. He kept his team – put his team in the lead, kept his team in the game, and they, he just watched it evaporate because of piss-poor defense and bad shooting. They, I, I don't know. It was just like you, you watch the game, and this was this was a lot better than this Spurs game we watched. That's for sure. Yes, it was. But you're just watching oh, it, and it's like everybody take a half a step back to the three-point line, and the game just opens up, and this the game just flows so much better. I just don't I don't understand why it took so long to realize it. Yeah, I mean, Duke. I mean, I mean, McGrady scored 17 points in the, in the fourth quarter, but don't but people tend to forget that Tim Thomas. The same time as Mitch Earl from Milwaukee, he came off the bench to score 11 and played the entire fourth quarter himself. So, yeah, again, that's how that, that Milwaukee team was. And then that left McGray going, why me? <laughs> Looking at his guys. But, yeah, 17 points in the, third, in the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah, so it was great. It was great, though. It was, it was great heading to, the, heading to overtime. I'd say that at least to your point. At least it's a lot better than that finals game that we covered last week, man. That was again watching that finals game last week with Tim Duncan and the Spurs against the Nets. That made me upset again. I mean, if you get upset again by watching the game, rewatching the game, <laughs> you know that's how bad that game was, right? But at least this one had yeah. higher scoring teams who knew about offense. But uh, yeah, Kevin, what's your take on like the second half or the fourth quarter, and the second half as whole with McGray's performance? Yeah, I mean, I think I go back to um, McGrady just attacking the rim. Um, his He couldn't get the jump shot to fall in the first, you know, uh, the dribble step back. He was three of nine uh, in the first half, uh, or excuse me, up with about three minutes left in the first half. And then um, mm-hmm. he really started attacking the rim in the second half. I, between the, the end of the third and the start of the fourth, um, there was a run where McGrady had made five straight shots and uh, four of those were ones in which he attacked the rim. Uh, only one of those was a jumper. 
Um, and so I think once he, he really started flexing his muscle and started attacking the rim, I think that's when I, that's when I kind of had the thought, oh, this is kind of how LeBron takes over late, when he's just like, all right, I'm at the top of the key, I got the ball, I'm going to the rim. Um, and that's, you know, when Jared said he had a little bit of LeBron to his game, and that's where I saw it come out in, in those moments uh, when, he, when he was able to um, kind of just flex and, and go, go to the bucket at any time. Um, but yeah, and, and also in the fourth, I think once the, the Magic had gotten up to a 13 point lead, and uh, I, I know we're talking about right. McGrady, and I know we've touched on Ray Allen. I was so impressed uh, with Ray Allen, and, and you could see that the Bucks were the better team, even though they ended up losing the game. You could see it in the fourth when they made their run, and it was just like they were just closing in, you know, like that, that famous scene from Star Wars when the walls just closing in. That's what it seemed like. Like they were just flexing their muscle and just squeezing, uh, you know, a far less talented Orlando team out. And you said McGrady, uh, he, he was drained. He did miss a couple of key free throws late. And um, to his credit, he had a nice play at the end of regulation uh, where he got an and one um, of his own and, and had almost a moment before Ray Allen was able to, to tie the game. So, uh, yeah, I, I think for me it was uh, – an incredible game by Ray Allen, a better game by McGrady. And um, I think McGrady left it all on the floor, and, and that's why, you know, the Bucks were able to take care of it in, in, in the final deciding game back when they used to play best of five. Right. To put into the context what right. the Bucks were and what, what – what Tracy McGrady had to go up against the Milwaukee Bucks that year arguably should have been in the finals. They played in the Eastern conference finals against the Philadelphia 76ers and and Philly beat them in seven games. And that series, I don't know if you remember it too much. I've gone back and watched it. It was a dog fight from the first jump. So, I I mean, uh, arguably, I mean, obviously Philadelphia got there and, you know they had the 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 pleasure of getting their asses handed to them, except for Game One by the L.A. Lakers. I mean, and that's right. what would have and I guarantee that's what would have happened with Milwaukee too. But top to bottom, that roster, Milwaukee was probably better than the Seventy Sixers, and probably should have been in the finals instead of the Seventy Sixers. But you know that's how basketball works. Yeah, there was a part of me and, at the end of overtime that just looked. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but Philadelphia had AI in his prime, and Milwaukee didn't. Right. <laughs> so right. Just, but, uh, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, so I was just going to say, there was a part of me there at the end of overtime that that just, uh, even though we were watching the game to break down McGrady um, and, and, and analyze the great McGrady performance, there was a part of me that, that heart just went out. My heart went out to Bucks fans because there's got to be Bucks fans to this day. I, well, maybe – no, probably not, not to this day, because they didn't win in the series. But if they look back on that game with any regret, uh, it would be, why did Tim Thomas take the last shot at, at the end of overtime? And I know he's a, he's a great player in his own right, but Ray Allen is a 43% three-point shooter on the year for the Bucs that, that year. He had made the most threes on the team. Uh, he had led them to this point in the game. He forced overtime. And I'm just watching the end of overtime. I'm like, what, what is Tim Thomas doing? Like, how is, how is George Carl <laughs> – it was great to be a coach. How does how does Ray Allen not have the ball in his hands right now? Um, and you know Thomas, of course, missed, but and Orlando got the rebound and 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 won their only game of the series. But uh, 
yeah, I just couldn't believe that Ray Allen. That was my that was my one last takeaway because at the very end of the game, I'm like, how's Ray Allen not get the ball here? What's going on? <laughs> that's that's exactly well, that's what so I said when Tim Thomas put the shot up. I think you know you guys went the wrong way. My dad, I remember my dad was watching the series. Him, we, we were both we were like, why does Tim Thomas have the ball? <laughs> you know, you have Ray <laughs> Allen on the floor, Sam Castell, and Glenn Robinson, big dog Glenn Robinson. Why the hell is Thomas Thomas have the ball again? Why did they have the ball again? I still don't know what Carl was thinking. Maybe he outthought himself. Maybe he outgenius himself. I don't know. That still bounces me to this. I don't get it. But one, but one thing about, about this game, people forget the great well that after way, but the slam dunk champion D Brown, he was on that London Magic squad. He drained a key three pointer in overtime, one of uh, Chase McGrady's assists, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, yeah so, and he so, also so, uh, the here. prettiest pass that McGrady had all game. He also decided to pass up the wide open three. <laughs> No, oh I, I saw God. I saw that in overtime. It was just – it wasn't anything special. It wasn't a cross-court pass or anything. It was just one of those, I got to move the ball one more person for an open shot. He moved the ball one more person with just this little flick of his wrist behind his back to him, and he passed up a wide-open three-pointer to try and drive into the lane where, of course, there's five people because 2001 basketball, and then he – Passed it out of it. And did you guys notice that it seemed like there were a million passes out of jump shots? Mm. Or was that just me? Yeah. <laughs> well, keep in mind, the NBA was a three-point shooting league as it is now. But, yeah, to your point, yeah, you had the best players in the world passing up open shots. So, go figure. <sighs> Sorry, that just, that just frustrated me. And I know that's – I know that's – me being younger than you and really I know I lived through all this and I watched most of, you know, most of the things where we discuss when it comes to mid nineties basketball, but, or mid two thousands basketball, but it's just, I don't understand why you would pass up a wide open three pointer. It doesn't, it's a wide open shot, regardless of where it is, why you pass it up to try and run a little bit closer to the hoop, but encounter three or four bodies there. It just never I, I just it, it doesn't make sense to me, but you know, again, that's just my young ass bitching. <laughs> no worries about the young ass bitching. Bitch away, bitch away. That's what the podcast is for. Just, just, just bitch away. Uh, <laughs> 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 that's all good. Um, so yeah, to just like, 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 um, to your point, you know, but Grady, he kept up his great performance at warm out for game four. Um, we got his ass bounced. But still, you know, this came, this, this, this became the pretty much the theme of his career, what like doing his climb. You know, he should never get over that first round hump for whatever reason. And in this series, in the first three games, he scored thirty-three, thirty-five, and thirty-five. So you can't say that McGrady wasn't doing his thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, no worries there. So, um, yeah, so the thing I noticed today I wanted to talk about before we get into the last dance was y'all, y'all, y'all see that, that rankings that ESPN has, the top 10. Well, they had a series of top 100 players, I think, 
and, and NBA history, their own ranking. I didn't really pay too much attention to really anything below the top ten, to be honest with you. But I'll get mm-hmm. to the top ten. I don't know if you guys saw the top ten. Uh, basically, going from ten to one, Shaq was number ten. Kobe was number nine. Tim Duncan was eighth. Uh, Larry Bird was seventh. Uh, Wilt was sixth. Will Chamberlain was sixth. Uh, Magic was fifth. Bill Russell was fourth. Kareem was third. Uh, um, LeBron was second, and, and MJ uh, Michael Jordan was was first. To me, took a few things. Like for one, I you know the the, the mere the, the mere fact that Magic and Larry Bird were ranked so low in the top ten makes this list trash to me. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, I, I, I just, I just, you know, to me, they didn't give Isaiah Thomas the proper appreciation. I mean, he was ranked below John Stockton for crying out loud. I mean, really? I mean, John Stockton was a great player. He was a damn, he was a great player, great point guard for the Utah Jazz. But he's not better than Isaiah Thomas. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. But the point is, is that I just thought that. I mean, for them to appease LeBron, LeBron's great. And, you know, I, I know, Kevin, you're a big fan. Of how, well, you and Jared both big Ohio guys, big LeBron fans. Uh, he, he, like even though uh, Jared is a, is a Bulls fan. But still, the point is, is that I just, I mean, while LeBron is still writing his legacy, if you will, I just think that they did Magic, Larry Bird, and Kareem. I thought they did them dirty with their rankings. I thought they were ranked. I mean, I guess Kareem, like Kareem was number two on my list. And Magic was number one on my list. You know, the fact that Magic could play five positions at a high level. He's the only rookie to be NBA Finals MVP. Scored 42 points in that same NBA Finals. Uh, Suffered in for playing center for an injured Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, we never see that again. A six-foot-nine-inch point guard. Revolutionized the game. Saved he and Larry Bird both saved the NBA from extinction. Uh, back when mm-hmm. the finals were tape delayed at one point, um, but I, I just thought I just think that Magic and Larry Bird were underappreciated, under undervalued in this list. I really do. So Jared, I know you're going to talk some trash about this, about my about my my like my personal list, but uh, what were your thoughts on NBA on the ESPN? Top ten players of all time, and Kevin, I'll get to you later. Yep. Sure. I guess Jared's not there. Um, Kevin, you, you still there? You still with us, bro? Yeah, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm here. So, 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 what are your thoughts on the NBA on the ESPN's top ten NBA list? Yeah, I tend to agree with you as far as thinking that uh, Bird and Magic should be higher. Um, I think even though, you know, personal biases aside, as far as how I feel about LeBron, I think that uh, any list like this, I, I can agree with Jordan being being at the top spot uh, just because of who sure. he is. Uh, right. Obviously, uh, I mean, he's an icon uh, that transcends the game and um, – and so the the LeBron fanboy in me would probably leave LeBron at number two and uh, call it recency bias or only being 31. But, you know, it's hard for, I think, and I'm 
probably lumped Jared in, in this category too. And I think for a lot of young guys to see LeBron go to the finals for really a decade straight, uh, eight straight seasons, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, I think that just is so fresh in our minds that that's why um, people in our generation probably tend to um, maybe at, at, you know, at risk of, um, you know, turning on my own bias, maybe we tend to overrate LeBron uh, just because we didn't live through uh, the multiple decades and generations of basketball um, uh, that you and other generations have lived through. And um, But so personally, I would leave LeBron at two, but I would have Magic right there at three and, you know, uh, either Bird or Cream at four and then either Bird or Cream at five. And I think that would be a top five for me. Um, I think Russell, uh, all due respect to Russell, 11 titles is absolutely insane. You don't have enough fingers for all your rings. Um, right. But I think, I th- hey, Jared, in fact, uh, I think yeah. that we have to be fair to the era that Russell played in uh, when there was only a small handful of teams, um, when the talent yeah. level wasn't what it is today or even for the past 30 years, 40 years. Um, <laughs> so um, to your point about Mer- Bur- Bird and, uh, and Magic saving basketball, I think you have to have those two. Um, right behind Jordan and LeBron in any discussion. And the only thing that would break my heart about uh, finishing out my top five with Bird and Cream, whichever order you want to put them in, I don't really care, 1A, 1B for, for those spots, would be that Kobe wouldn't be in the top five. I think uh, as much as I hated Kobe uh, when he was a player, I definitely think you look at what he did. I think I think they kind of underrated him a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard for me to say that – to look at – Tim Duncan's career and say he was far and away a better player than Kobe Bryant. Um, Kobe Bryant, definitely more iconic. I know we talked a lot about Tim Duncan last week, and um, but I might even put I, Duncan or I might put Kobe ahead of Duncan. Um, I, I don't, I think Wilt and Russell and Kobe and Duncan, I, I understand them being in that next tier. Um, and I don't really care what order you would would put them in. I think they're all pretty close. Um, I think personally, I would put I would go Kobe, and then maybe Duncan, Welt, and Russell. But yeah, I lost all respect for this list because I looked at it from <laughs> end to number one. When Isaiah Thomas, you know Zeke, the original Isaiah Thomas, was ranked thirty-one, and Giannis is ranked twenty-seven all time. Get out of here. Make no sense. <laughs> Just walk away and end what you're doing. Yeah, I think they, they, like, they have him. Ab- they have him over James Harden. They have him over James Harden. Uh, one place ahead of John Stockton. Like it just that was just too much. But to keep it on your top ten, um, everything that Kevin said rings true. The, the the biggest thing that I have, and I don't want to take anything away from Wilt. I don't want to take anything away from Bill sure. Russell. But when you look at the era that they played in, there's a modern era. It's just like in baseball where you have a live ball era and a dead ball era. In basketball, you have a modern era and then a past era. And that's unfortunately where, where Bill Russell lives is his 11 rings happened pre the modern era when basketball players were – training for basketball, you know, they, they, in the off season, they were training to be basketball players. They weren't 
ending the basketball season and then going and being car salesmen or something like that because they had to. They were trained right. to be nothing but NBA players. So that's that's the that's the thing that drives me nuts. Like I yes, the eleven the eleven rings is fantastic and you cannot take that away from him. But you drop him into this era or any of these guys into that era and I, what do you think LeBron would win in a row in the 60s? <laughs> right, do you think yeah, it would just be exactly. a clean sweep? Oh, come on. You don't think – I think Bob Cousy <laughs> would dominate LeBron. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Hondo would too. John Havlicek. John, uh, like Hondo would as well and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah, LeBron wouldn't stand a chance against those guys. Um, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, this is crazy. I mean – you have eight, Allen Iverson is ranked 29th below Giannis. 29th. And Isaiah was ranked 31st. Behind Giannis and Steve Nash. I love Steve Nash, but he's not better than Isaiah Thomas. What was that? Chris Paul's ranked 40th. I mean, I would, I would, yeah. I, I would take Chris Paul over James Harden. Maybe not like right now, but if you're talking totality of career, I'd rather have Chris Paul over over Giannis right now. I mean, granted, again, there's the freakish freakish athlete portion of it, but we don't know we don't know just how good he's going to get. I mean, this could be as good as he gets, and if this is as good as he gets, it's damn good. But mm-hmm. over the totality of your career, how are you going to rank somebody that's not even into their third contract yet? Above Hall of Fame players, that's just—it's just wrong. It's disrespectful. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, to your point, he's quoting Stephen A. Smith. Wait for me to tell you Stephen A. Smith that one. Uh, <laughs> haven't heard that in a while. Um, yeah, but again, that this is the reason why I don't really take ESPN's list, all-time list, all that seriously. To be honest with you, because. A lot of these people, they, 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 it's re, it's recency bias. Let's be honest. This is a lot of uh, recency bias. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Giannis ranked high over Stockton, and and uh, um, uh, AI, Allen Iverson, and Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, that's. I'm like, yeah, this, 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 this list is trash. It's totally trash. It's, it's trash. But. It is what it is. Well, as a Cavs fan, the thing that, that triggered me the most, because CBS Sports also put out a list this week, was that in both the ESPN list, I think ESPN had Steph Curry at 14 and CBS had Steph Curry at 13. And I was like, what? You're telling me a guy that had to go ride the coattails of Kevin Durant to his two legitimate rings is going to be a top 15 player over some of the greatest players of all time? Are you kidding me? <laughs> We're gonna, we're gonna have to we're we're gonna have to argue here. We'll, we, we'll save this one for another podcast, Kevin. But no, come on now. Had to ride Durant's coattail. Durant had to come over to Curry. Come on now. Let's not. Let's let's. let's yeah, not, because let's, Curry let's, couldn't let's get it done Curry. without him. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, neither could. Uh, but but Durant couldn't beat Curry when they had to face off against each other. So what are you telling me here? Uh, Curry had better teammates. Oh, Curry had better teammates. Durant had Russell Westbrook. He had Serge Ibaka. He yeah. had Stephen Adams. Like, come on now. Hey, I'm not Walter saying the one that Curry isn't good. Walter, I, just, 
That's right. I'm not saying Curry's not good. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying how are we already saying that he's better than so many all time greats? I don't I don't know if Curry squeaks into my all time top fifteen. I'd I'd be more sure about Kevin Durant being an all time top fifteen player for me personally, uh, than I would about okay. Steph Curry. That's On just that my own personal thing. On that we yeah. agree there's things that Durant does that Curry just could never dream of doing just because of sheer size and athleticism alone. But the one thing you cannot take from, from Curry is he is he the best shooter of all time? If he's not the best, he's in he's in the top three, right? Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that, yeah. But I don't know that oh, shooter always equates to player. Make you Curry. Okay. All due respect, fellas, and, I'm, and I love you both. And I, I'm sorry. I guess I'm more on Jared's side, but I don't know. But ranking Stephen Curry – Ahead of Dr. J, ahead of Kevin Durant, well, I can get that, but ahead of Dr. J, Jerry West, Carl Malone, Ozzy mm-hmm. Malone, and Dirk and KG, Kevin Garnett. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's exactly it. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to you. Okay. But, gentlemen, right. I have to make my exit. I apologize. Um as I told Scott earlier, I have not gotten to watch the two most recent episodes of The Last Dance. James. And to be honest with you, to be honest with hey man, come on, adult things. You know how that goes. That's right, right. I got you, bro. So uh, I don't want any spoilers, so I will get caught up, and I will for sure next week have my opinions on the ones that come out on Sunday because I'm not going to miss the finale. Cool. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think anyone did. I mean – this is this is has been great, and you're gonna love episode seven and eight. That's all I'm gonna say. No spoilers, but you're gonna love seven and eight. All right, guys, you guys have a great one, Scott. Thank you very much for having me on, Kevin. It was nice talking to you as always. See you. We we'll have you on next week, man. See you next week. Sounds good. See you next week. All right, that's all right. So that's my guy, uh, one one the dynamic duels, Jared uh, Singleton signing off. He played hooky. No, I'm, I'm just playing. But uh, we're gonna go into. The last dance episode of seven that we'll get Kevin Allen on this. Um, seven and eight to me, and I hope Jared's not listening right now, but seven and eight to me were the best of the series so far um, because it really touched – it really get touched into what led to Jordan's first retirement um, mm-hmm. and also the pressure he felt to win his second. After winning his second because he felt the pressure of being – Maintaining a certain image, you know, he was a shoe guy, shoe mm-hmm. selling, shoe selling guy, Nike. And speaking of which, like, uh, stuff that led to him becoming a pitch man for Nike because originally he didn't want to be with Nike. He wanted to be with Converse. And then later, uh, 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 Adidas. And so, you know, and so, I mean, I mean, we talked about that last week, but still, that's just really, I still think about that. But really, seven and eight got to the real emotional side of, of of, um, of uh, Michael Jordan in terms of what he did to motivate his teammates, but what some people also saw as bullying his teammates, like mm-hmm. it's like uh, punching Steve Kerr in the eye, busting Will Perdue in the nose, and those reports about how and and, and he confirmed it. Horace Grant confirmed that when they were coming back on the team playing for somewhere, a team playing somewhere, Michael Jordan. Asked the stewardess not to not to give horses food because he played like quote he played like shit, and so that led to a confrontation and no punches were thrown. But mm-hmm. uh, Horace Grant 
he talked to uh, uh, um, like um, on Monday morning on the uh, on, on the undisputed. He's contacted Shannon Sharp, but he told Shannon Sharp, but he said on camera that got cut out was that Michael Jordan didn't want to see him then. He didn't want to see him now <laughs> because how angry he right. was over there and many others. And come to find out that he was on Grant since his rookie season, since Grant's uh, rookie season. Even though Grant went on to have a hell of a career, winning three mm-hmm. rings with the Bulls, one with the Lakers later on, but still. The question has to come in, my man, is was Michael Jordan a bully? Um, you know, they asked uh, they asked Michael Jordan that at the end of um, at the end of this two parter from Sunday, and uh, and he actually broke down and cried, which I thought was a it was an interesting response um, because I think I I wanted right. to know I wanted to know what the motivation of the tears were, and I think. Because um, it could it could have been one of two things, and I don't know if they'll clear it up at the end or if it's left to interpretation um, for the viewer. But you know, they said, "Hey, you know, everything that you did to motivate your teammates, like now, like people are going to perceive it. Like a lot of people would perceive it as your bully or you know, you're a jerk, whatever." Um, and he said, "You know, I, I I don't remember the quote verbatim, but it was something along the lines." Jordan's response was, "Like you know, if that's what people think of me, you know, that's I like." Essentially, like I, I did what I, then I did what I felt like I had to do to win, and he like tears up and he starts crying, and so I, you know, I'm sitting there uh, watching it with my wife, and I'm like, is he crying because he he thinks that people might perceive him as jerks, and maybe he looks back with regret, or is he crying because of just remembering the feeling of how badly uh, he wanted something? And that's what he said. He said, I guess you never wanted something that, that much. That's actually what he said. Um, yeah. If, if you think I was a bully. And I'm like, was he actually crying because he remembers how badly he wanted it? And I tend to lean with, you know, the second hypothesis that it's, it was how badly Jordan wanted to win, that he still feels emotion about that. And I think that the, what I would use right. as evidence to support that claim is so many things throughout uh, the two episodes on Sunday night that really shed light. And it, they've kind of hinted at it throughout the series, but I think it was hinted at, and, and really exposed in a greater detail on uh, Sunday just how deeply J- Michael Jordan holds grudges and how he uses those to motivate himself for his end goals. Um, like Sports Illustrated when he played baseball that had a cover yeah. that said, you know, he yeah. basically said he needs to quit because he sucks. And Jordan hasn't talked to anybody from Sports Illustrated since. I mean, we're talking almost 30 years. Again, holding a grudge right. against one of the top right. sports public publications in the world because they had yeah. one headline that, you know, you felt jilted by. And so I think he just feels so deeply um, as far as what his goals are and his desire at that time to win in life. And, um, and you know, this wasn't – I don't think this was really highlighted in the series, but I know Charles Barkley has said that, you know, he wishes him and Jordan could be friends, but Jordan has a grudge against Barkley right now because he critic- Barkley criticized Jordan's ownership, uh, the way he was uh, – the Hornets, the way he was running things. And um, So, yeah, he's just – he's a guy that, um, you know, holds grudges to a fault, but I think um, uses those to definitely mo- motivate himself. And I think there is some poignancy – and him saying, I guess you never wanted anything that badly, you know, and it's like, and it's hard to look at myself in my own life and be like, you know, I don't know if I ever have, to be honest, like that, that's wanted pretty badly, you know, when you don't care 
um, what you have to do or say or hurt um, as far as other people go in order to get accomplish your goal. So. Yeah, I mean, there's something about the will to win, right? It's, it could be mm-hmm. cliche-ish, you know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody says, I want the will to win. I mean, hell, I'm like going to, going into football for a minute. Like OBJ, like Odell Beckham Jr. has says he has the quote will to win, but there's something mm-hmm. about the sacrifice, the real mm-hmm. sacrifice of being great. You know what I mean? It's like players, like superstars, Hall of Famers talk about all the time. Like Isaiah Thomas mentioned this, and I think Shannon Sharp mentioned this one time on on uh, Undisputed that the things that they have to miss, they had to miss, like birthdays and recitals. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because it's all that time away from the game, away from off the field, off the court, putting the time to be better. Whereas film study mm-hmm. or finding skills, your game, it takes so much work, man. I can imagine mm-hmm. an elite, as elite as the NBA, where the great, where you have to be the greatest among the greats, among the good mm-hmm. ones, because everybody in the NBA can can play. We all know that, right? Everybody in the NBA is the best. Players in the world, that's what players are in the NBA. All right? We all know this. But to be the best of the best, or considered to be amongst the best of the best, that takes a whole hell of a lot of work, man. That takes a lot of work mm-hmm. on your body, your, the time to perfect your skills. That takes that takes a lot of time. People don't realize how much time. That's, that's what you call paying the price. That's where that phrase comes from, of, of, of the greatness. Whether like using practice, treating presents like Michael Jordan did, of like treating presents like 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 they were game sevens. You know what I mean? It's like even though he didn't mm-hmm. play him in the game sevens, but still the point is, is that he perfected the man of perfection. And right. you know that's why he put on Grant. I'll, again, I'm not one to think that the make the ends justify the means, because people mm-hmm. can also say that about Bobby Knight too. You know he got he graduated almost all his players. Uh, he mm-hmm. won all those championships. His play, his former players started to be great dudes, whether they be NBA players, coaches, whatever, and society, uh, mm-hmm. like whatever. But it's still, the, the, the ends didn't justify his means either, right, of, of reports of his legendary right. bullying of players and, and, and the media, even, and some right. school administrators, university administrators. So I, I mm-hmm. think that Jordan, I don't think Jordan meant to be a bully, but he did bully those players. He, he did. I think he did. Oh yeah, well, and especially Scott Burrell. Did you, did you catch that? Oh when yeah. He went on Scott Burrell, I'm like, dude, really? And Burrell just took right. it. He took mm-hmm. it, and he didn't have a good, he didn't have a long career because he didn't have right. a dog in him to stand up to Jordan and to exactly. face the challenges. So exactly. that's why I. Uh, oh no, go ahead, brother. Uh, I know you got something to say. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I thought the exact same thing in the segment of, about Scott Burrell. You know, they talked about how great of a player he was at Connecticut, and he had had some key moments for the Bulls there, the 98 Bulls. And the, um, but I think exactly, I was like, you know what, he never went on to be great. And maybe Jordan's on to something. Maybe there has to, a person has to have a little bit of ego or a little bit of uh, something in them um, that, that maybe from time to time you come off as a jerk. Um, but because you, at the back of your mind, have a greater goal in mind. And, and Jordan even talked about it. He said, I would push Burrell. I would, he, he talked about intentionally going after him 
as like a strategic move. Like I, I'm not just doing this to be yeah. mean. I'm not just doing this to be malicious. I'm not just doing it to be a jerk, but I am intentionally being a jerk because he said he wanted him to come back at him. He said, I wanted him to say, right. quit picking on me. I wanted him to say, dude, I've had enough. Gaparel is just too nice. He is always took and never did. And he knew because he knew that he, he wanted to put, get that drive in Burrell because he knew he would need him uh, in that season. And then uh, I think there's similar sentiments in the Steve Kerr fight where Jordan said, like, he felt regret for picking on the smallest guy on the team. But when Kerr came back at him and Kerr stood up for himself, there was a newfound respect in their relationship from then on out. And Kerr said till this day um, that stemmed from Jordan punching Kerr in the face. Um, so yeah. it might sound a little bit, cra- a little crazy to a normal person, but I think, like you said, we're talking about being the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to your point, bro, um, Jordan said himself, he knew he could trust Kurt and he knew he could mm-hmm. trust Will to do. He knew he could trust guys who came back at him. He knew that he could trust him. Uh, he didn't have that same trust to Burrell. And to your mm-hmm. point, he did have that same trust in, in Grant, too, even though Grant had to be restrained from physically putting his hands on him. But Grant did come back. <laughs> but right. not physically, but, but, but verbally. And I think it's a bit of that today, but still, the point is that Burrell, look, again, I, I don't think, to your point, I agree with you. I don't think Jordan went to, it to be a total asshole or to be malicious. Mm-hmm. I just think he wanted to, he wanted the guys to be as great as him. He wanted the guy to do use the same commitment as he did, and I think he just mm-hmm. went about the wrong way. That's just that's just why he, he was he was well intentioned, mm-hmm. but it just came out the wrong way. I mean, as Bobby Knight, I don't think Bobby Knight had good intentions. I think he was just a bully. He was just he was <laughs> who could happen to be a good a great just coach. Had, just anger. I mean, two things can be true. Two things can be true. He was a, he could be a great he was a great coach. But he was also an ass. So, right. So, right. So there you go. Uh, and I, th- I thought it was really uh, cool. I thought it was. Uh-huh. Go ahead. No, Sorry, no, I just no, gonna say, I thought ahead. it was really cool how how they how they kind of framed it as, you know, they show the shots of Jordan in the '80s, beaten down by the Celtics, beaten down by the Pistons, and him saying like, really? when it came to his teammates in the '90s, they didn't go through that. They didn't have to go through what I went through. And I know what it's yeah. going to take from those experiences in the 80s where he was getting beat up by, you know, Kevin McHale and was getting beat up by um, Isaiah Thomas and company. And, and so um, I think it sheds light onto how that mentality was maybe birthed inside Michael Jordan. Like he got the crap beat out of him and he was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take that anymore. And so he was, he was kind of, you know, in a way grooming his teammates like, hey, this game, you get the crap beat out of you. I'm going to do it to you in practice. I'm going to do it to you mentally, verbally, physically, emotionally, like so that you can respond, you know, when the moment is on you because I can't take every shot. Um, and we could ask Jared this next week. When Jordan took uh, – because I'm going to spend next, more next week talking about his baseball because we don't have much time left. Um, yeah, for sure, sure. But when Jordan took those two years off, right, well, the year, the year and a half, I guess, um, when like uh like 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 a, like a, when the Bulls fell short in '94 against my Knicks in Game Seven of uh, the Eastern Conference Semifinals, uh, mm-hmm. you know the Bulls got robbed in Game Five, but that's no story for another time. Um, because I, I guess Pippen did not foul Greg Anthony on that three, but whatever. 
Um, but in 95, when he came back in the middle of the year and lost to Orlando in the second round, um, let me ask you this. If Jordan never stepped away for that year and a half, do you think any team would have taken down the Bulls in 94 and 95? Uh, hard, to, hard to say because there's so many hypotheticals. And, um, and you're asking a guy, honestly, that didn't live it, but just knowing what I know about those teams, <laughs> I, would say, I would say no. Um, because I think if Jordan doesn't leave, I think a number of other players don't leave. I think Horace Grant stays. Uh-huh. Um, but then you – it's almost like would that second three-peat have happened because, you know, Horace Grant kind of started to tail off later in the 90s where Dennis Rodman was still playing at an elite level as far as defensively and as a rebounder. Um, but um, there was so much turnover on the roster, and they touched on it in the series and uh, of how much turnover there was. Um, you know, I, I don't think Bill Winnington had just come in. He wasn't part of the first three-peat. Um, and not that he was even a great player. He was always just a role guy anyway. But just speaking to – there's just so much turnover on the roster that it's hard to say. It's hard to say what Krauss would have done if Jordan hadn't left, what pieces they might have gone after earlier. Um, but, you know, that first year, I think they, they did win, what, 56 games without Jordan. And then yeah. the second year they were struggling. I think they were 34 and 31 when Jordan came back. So they were struggling a lot more in the in – the, 90 was like 94, 95 season. Um, right. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a hard question to, to answer. I think um, if you look at the drive, and I know you said we'll touch on baseball more next week, but if you look at the drive he had in baseball without touching on it in, in cool detail, um, to think that he would have still had that, um, it, it, it is hard to say. Uh, but one thing, one thing, a counterpoint, you know, and then I'll end on this because I know you're running long here. A counterpoint to saying maybe they wouldn't have won in those years is that when Jordan left, he said he had nothing left uh, to prove. Uh, and you mentioned how much pressure he felt to win a third championship, and part of that was because Bird and Magic had never won three in a row. Bird and Magic were seen um, as at that time as the two two of the greatest players ever, and um, almost almost inarguably at that point in time. And um, and he knew like even though people at that time I think were even the 92 Olympics kind of cemented it and all that. Like, like even though people at that time thought maybe Jordan was the greatest player ever, he's like, I can cement it if I win a third in a row. And so after he had mm. done that, he really had nothing left to prove. And uh, the series really speaks to Jordan as a guy that, that goes on, on motivation. So it's hard to say what his motivations would have been in those years, because I think part of his motivation coming back was to say, Hey, I'm still the top dog, especially after losing to Orlando in the Eastern conference finals. Um, so yeah. Tough to say. Uh, I gave a point for each side because I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to make sense of it <laughs> from a, from no, a young and no, ignorant it, standpoint. No, it's fine. I mean, this one of the great what ifs, right? And even though guys right. like you who are, were old to remember it, but to me, I'll say this: in '95, I'd agree. I think that '95, I think I think the Bulls would have won it still. I would think they would have beaten the Rockets in '95. I don't think they would have beaten the Rockets in 94 because what people will remember, that Houston Rockets team, sure, they had Hakeem Olajuwon, and they built it to, you know, where some people build their teams, like like a big man who could do it all, surrounded by three-point mm-hmm. snipers. That's what the Houston Rockets right. team in 94 Smith, were. Kenny yeah. mm-hmm. Smith, uh, uh, what's his name? Matt Maxwell. Uh, yeah, uh, what's his name? Sam Cassell was on that team. Um mm-hmm. 
Bob, like Robert Horry, Big Shot Bob was on that squad. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot who the power four was. Um, but they had a bunch of snipers around Akeem. And Akeem could do it all. Could put the ball on the floor, could go around you, could hit from the outside, could dunk on you. He was just a quick big man, a very quick big mm-hmm. man, uh, like for that time. He was basically David Robinson, only quick. That That's how Akeem was. But um, – but those those that that ninety four Houston team was tough. It was very tough. Now they barely beat the they 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 like the, like they barely beat my New York Knicks in the finals when Robert mm-hmm. when John Stark went one for eighteen from the field. I still get nightmares about that. But <laughs> but like, but still, I mean, I still I still wake up in the middle of the night going, "Don't shoot it! Don't shoot it!" Um, <laughs> um, Houston Rockets team would have had something for Jordan's Bulls. But to your point, mm-hmm. the Bulls were were damn good in '94. They went 55 and 27. They think they tied with my Knicks for the second best record in the East. That was Atlanta had that. Atlanta won 57 games that year. Got put up by Indiana in the second round. But um, that Bulls team was pretty good. That was Horace Grant's last year in Chicago, as we all remembered. But I think I think the Bulls would still been great in '94. I just think Houston was Houston was tough. Houston mm-hmm. was pretty damn tough, and so that would have been a very tough series to Jordan. That's that's the only that's the only year I think that that's the only team I think that would have had some for the Bulls. A petition right. would have taken the the title away from the Bulls in '94. But I think the '95 team, yeah, I think Chicago would have whacked Houston, <laughs> like even though Houston added um, Clyde Drexler, but they weren't as good. That Rockets team in '95 was as good as the '94 team, so okay. that, that so that so that's why I think what happened there. But again, it's one of the great what ifs. The what right. ifs in all of basketball. That's another what if. If Jordan hadn't stepped away, would they would have kept the party going in '94 and '85 instead of two sets of three peaks? So I guess we'll never know. But uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's stuff of legends, man. It's stuff for great barbershop discussions. Great. Uh, <laughs> Great sports bar talk. I mean, this is what it's all about. So at least I'm grateful for the last dance to bring us this type of conversation in a time where there's a whole hell of a lot of nothing going on thanks to, right. to, to the pandemic. But uh, we'll get the party going next week. Thankfully, we have two more parts and one last Sunday to talk about this some more. So, uh, yeah, so I guess we'll buckle up and we'll bring more of this discussion to Jerry next week once it gets caught up. We won't tease him too much, much about it, but. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll definitely uh, catch up on those those two seven and eight with Jared next week and eight and, and episodes nine and ten as well. So see you next week, my brother. All right, I'll see you, Scott. Thanks, man. All right, take care. That's my guy, uh, Kevin McHugh, the other half of the Weekend Adjustments Radio Show on on WMOA, um, the ticket every Saturday morning. Great NBA talk there. Great, um, even though I still think that NBA all-time listener is saying it's straight trash. But anyway, thank y'all for tuning in to the podcast. This is Scott Burks with the Clown All-Time All-06. Thanks.